Welcome back to Selling Circular. Welcome back to Question Selling Circular. Me? Yes, let's do it. Uh, we're jumping right <laughs> into it. Um, we've got another great episode coming. Uh, we're going to be talking to Stacy Savage later, uh, the trash talking Texan, who I love the attitude. It's great. And she She's does a lot so, of great stuff on LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so it was a lot of fun to talk to her, and and we uh, we have that queued up for for halfway through this episode. But we're going to continue our segment first, um, where we 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 sort of started to play with learning and how are we educating and learning our, ourselves, and then reporting out what we're what we're learning. Um, and I would like to say that really we could probably just name this sort of like a nerding out episode. We're letting our nerd out on this episode where we just get to kind of do some research, geek out it on a little bit and just share what we're passionate about. And maybe hopefully people find it interesting. Um, that's really what I hope in this segment. So with that, yeah. you want to take us, you want to lead us there? What do, what do we learn about? Yeah. So I guess maybe even just starting with Stacy Savage and thinking about what she's going to talk to us about, which is, yeah, the world of zero waste and trash. And the reason that she's a consultant in the zero waste world is because there it is a, it's an ecosystem of various players. And if you are seeking as a business or an organization seeking to move to zero waste, you're kind of uh, in this world where you have to navigate who's who, who can provide what services to you, what is the ecosystem that's around you to support the yep. goals that you are trying to achieve? And transitioning from a linear to a circular economy is not simple because of this like ecosystem or systems in general. And I think yeah. that's kind of one thing I wanted to touch upon is I'm not going to go deep into systems thinking, but that's a thing that's out there. That's a, a study. A whole other topic that we can it's get a, to at some point. Yes. Yes. And it's very cool because there's like a lot of great frameworks to help you understand how to connect the dots between a variety of things that are happening in the world. And actually, if we can, we can kind of start with that. It was like, what is a system, right? Is it, it's kind of like a thing that has a boundary and I'm not going to. I'm not going to absolutely nail the definition and I want to try to pull up, <laughs> pull up an image, but. Well, I, uh, is, isn't, isn't that fair to say though, too, that even, I mean, I'm sure there's a definition of a system, but the nature of our circular economy solutions that we're all trying to figure out is the boundaries can be so, can be amorphous. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And so like the, I, ha I do have one definition pulled up, so I will refer okay, to that. Okay. But like, if I tried to Excellent. do it on my own, I feel like, oh, what is it? You know, it feels a little yeah. bit effervescent. But here, Donella Meadows, who studies systems thinking and has written a lot about it, says that a system is a set of related components that work together in a particular environment to perform whatever functions are required to achieve the system's objective. Which makes sense, right? It's like yep, there's yep. a group of related, maybe connected kinds of things. And you can think yep. of systems at so many different scales. Like one example that I came across when I was thinking about systems thinking was you can think of a, a cow as a, as a system or any animal, right? Like there is a boundary. Its skin is its boundary. It has pieces inside of it that are working together in this environment. And the functions of those pieces are to make the cow live and sustain itself yeah. for a while. Yeah. 
I'm getting a little <laughs> meta in this in my own head of how many systems I am and how many systems I'm within. And yes. Just the the universal nature of just exactly. I am just one but just I'm a system. Yes. Exactly. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And that's also like the cow, right? So the cow is a system, but then it is part of a farm, which yes. would also have would also be why. a system. Which the cow is part of. Yeah, I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> which is which is is helpful because then you can there's like a little bit of like a spiritual universal nature i think to systems which is we are all interconnected in some form or fashion and yeah. we have to be aware of what those connections are and what are the um reinforcing and balancing forces yep. and that's systems thinking if you go deep into that there's like you can draw diagrams about what is reinforcing and what's balancing in a in a system so that you can understand the impacts of your actions, which is pretty cool because um, yeah. it turns something philosophical and seemingly abstract into just like paper and pen and and something really simple and, and an equation. I mean, uh, in, it's uh, an equation. An yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And if you get into yeah. like material flows and um, like urban. Um, I forget the terminology, almost like urban ecosystems or something like that. Yeah. There is like a, what comes into your city, what's processed and then what goes out, right? That That's like a which, study also in and of itself. Which we've seen, and, and I hope I'm not leading this in any way or distracting us, but uh, when you see that, you start to see that a lot with industrial symbiosis, the, the early yes. predecessors of circular yes. economy, um, yes. of really plotting and mapping these systems and processes and ecosystems of just an, yes. in, of an industrial process of where these material flows go. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And there's the exciting thing about that is if yeah. you have enough systems thinkers, like I, I, my hypothesis is that circular economy people tend to be more systems thinkers because they are, mm. we are the ones that have kind of like a zoomed out view of the world and are looking at these dots, even if we haven't studied systems thinking, we're, we're seeing a pattern emerge and we can see those reinforcing and balancing loops and where it's going wrong in the linear economy. Yes. And that's why we get involved because we're like, we want to be an influencer in how the system changes. So I actually want to just pull up oh, I this, like this. Okay. image. So systems thinking and sustainability projects and communication, right? I found this just in Google images, or you can see the source yeah. there, but you're in, if you're in a boat, you're in a system. And this guy over here is saying, I'm sure glad the hole isn't on our end. Right. So it's like passing You're if you don't realize you're in a system yeah. and you're, you're not realizing your role in the system, you're passing the buck to somebody else yeah, who has to, to deal with this. To the other the end problem. of the boat. Yes. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And similarly can, with I, the elephant. Yeah, explain the elephant, actually, because this is ringing a bell with something I've heard before, and I'm trying to remember what this yeah, sort of allegory I think it's like is. A, yeah. yeah, it's a story of blind men who approach That's an right. elephant, and they all have a different description of what they're observing with their senses, right, with their hands. Yeah. And without the communication with others who are experiencing a different part of the system you would have yeah. no idea upon first touch that yeah this yep. is an elephant which i think is pretty cool um yeah and that, i think yeah that 
that it comes it's about the parts coming together and then exactly. everyone sort of communicating those parts for the whole. Yeah. Exactly. And the other thing I wanted to kind of touch on and connect the dots to is is that like that level of influence, right? Is right. you in this image, right, you have Molly who is dealing with a lot in her environment and her system, maybe something, some personal stuff, work stuff, relationships with public systems, uh, her own family, her own work. And thinking about all of that is a lot in her own system. But if she's able to influence what her system, um, her system and her kind of scope or sphere entails, then she feels, yeah. yeah, she feels like it's manageable. And she could also influence it, the system by, by choosing to focus on something in particular, right? So like yeah. she's aware of what's going on and then she's making a change for okay. herself. I'm kind of right. into the mental health element of this too, just yeah. con- yeah. controlling your, the variables that you can control. <laughs> like, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so I think that's also interesting in circular economy as circular economy practitioners, we, yeah. we see that system. We want to, yep. we want to influence, but we only have enough or a specific amount of influence or we don't, we can't have total and control influence. So we are each like, for example, Reapley is, picking the the lane of um, aggregator of supply and demand in business contexts where organizations yep. have surplus, right? That's like a very specific thing. And, and other guests that we've had on the platform have p- p- picked a specific lane to influence. And, and yep. I guess like that's how we get to a circular economy is that we need more and more of these like focused influencers. Well, I, I love where you're placing me in, in sort of my own entrepreneurial journey here with loop layer of really defining and where I almost, I guess I'm drawing my boundary for the company is specific points of inflection or aggregation or where things can actually be affected. Mm. Um, And as a small company, um, we only have our ability to focus on um, very defined points and and very tight boundaries and scope because ultimately the resources aren't what a lot of other companies might have. And so there's something in this too that's actually, it's allowing me to reflect on how I'm controlling Mm. our scope and Mm. what we can affect and control for the impact that we're trying to have. And then we can scale that out with more resources, people, et cetera. Um, But Ultimately, that systems thinking and figure out where are you in this system um, for the most impact is very important. Exactly, exactly. And I just wanted to now kind of move to um, a specific example of this in in a particular industry where there are inherently many types of stakeholders so that we could understand like if you are a listener or you could, if, if you're a listener who's in this industry, the building materials and the built environment industry, you could kind of identify what your role is in, in advancing the circular economy. And if you're not yeah. in this industry, you can understand or maybe draw a parallel to, okay, who are the other players in my own industry that could also have an influence in advancing the circular economy. So it's really just to paint a picture. And so I pull up this example, which is from the circular built environment playbook report 
um, which is published by the World Green Building Council. So really, it's a really excellent report and I highly recommend. Uh, I haven't seen something as like thorough and uh, specific with the levers for change and the call for action and, and the, the checklist that they have yep. in this document. So I really love this document. But I thought they did a great job of calling out the systems players. And I kind of wanted to to talk through yeah. who the players are and what their influence could be. And so what right now we're seeing a, a, a PDF page with a, uh, of cells, essentially boxes of stakeholders. Um, yep. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. And so if you think about, and we, we've had some guests who have been part of the built environment yeah. industry and building industry before. And that's been yep. cool to, if you think about Eric Law, right, he is in deconstruction, right? That's one of the cells yep. that we have. And and it he might not even be the person doing the deconstructing. He's the one who's reprocessing the materials coming out of deconstruction so that it could be that wood supply could be used by a manufacturer or a supplier in a new construction, which is pretty cool. So you have, if you think of, yeah, if you think of buildings going up and buildings coming down, you have the contractors, right? Who are the people who are actually going to be doing the work of making decisions about how things go up and how things come down, right? And they're working on behest of, the asset owner or the occupier, the person who's going to be in the building or own the building at the end of the day. Yep. Yep. And those folks, they have a lot of power that I don't think that they um, are aware of how much influence they could have. And I think it would be cool actually to throw this on a map on you know, what kind of decisions you could be making and how much influence you do have. We do see because there's so many stakeholders, there's kind of a lot of finger pointing, not in like a, yeah, not in like an ill-intended way is more just no, like, it's, oh, I, I, it's, I don't think I have the power. Well, I think there's, if I could do it on a smaller, I don't know if this is smaller, but uh, I think one of the most prevalent examples I've seen is watching live three different stakeholders in the recycling space point at one another and you have recyclers or uh waste managers um that are saying hey we we aren't the ones to decide this it's decided by uh the our our constituents the people that we serve and then people then point to no 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 we need policy um and then Mm -hmm. policy then goes oh no no but we need these companies to do this job and it's like i don't think Sometimes you can get that caught in that cycle yes, where no exactly. one maybe understands the effect they have on that to, to exactly. be first mover um, in the, exactly. in, within that boundary of a recycling system. Exactly. And I think you're touching on one of the other players listed here, right? Policymakers is who's right. going yep. to, who, who can establish what the expected behavior from all these other stakeholders are. It right. really could be right. anybody on this list, but policy could help standardize and bring those like circular opportunities to scale in a city. So if you think about the city of San Francisco, they're working on a policy that would require a certain amount of building materials be reused in new construction. So that's like you get, you get the scale of the whole city with, with that kind of decision. I mean, it could be this ecosystem decides to do that on their own, but without the policy, would it happen as fast? Well, 
I love where your your head took this because then it it sort of it jogged the conversation we're gonna have with Stacy coming up, which is she was finding herself being a little bit in a position of. Uh, well, she kind of fell. I mean, I, I guess I don't want to ruin it too much, but falling within the policymaking mindset where she's like, mm-hmm. I have, I think, the ability and the power here to affect some change. And I'm going to yeah. push this through, gather yeah. the stakeholders of my community and make a change happen that will affect yeah. local ordinances. Um, yeah. We can get into that Which further with inspiring. her. But to your point, yeah. it took someone to realize that power yeah. that they had within this ecosystem, within this system, yeah. in this boundary. Um, yeah. to make it happen and to affect the change for the other stakeholders. Exactly. Yep. And I think we covered most of them here, but we we have the developers and investors could be the asset owners or occupiers. Mm-hmm. It could be a different party also. So that's also where like the, if the person using is different than the person investing, like are their interests aligned? Like if I'm a tenant and I want to live in a more sustainably built building how can i communicate that to the developer right. or the investor that seems like a non non-starter almost you know in today's world i, I don't know how yeah. that happened even even like personally right today i'm looking to well, buy a house like i don't have a say over what materials unless no. i build it myself right what materials right. are which, used i have no which say. then at that point too there's such a loss on or a such an in a exponential amount of energy to put in to create something like that and then a loss of the economies of scale if you're just doing it by yourself um and and so and and the power probably to affect broader supply chain or broader at least supply or Mm -hmm. demand for those types of 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 products um so absolutely and and i think that's so interesting because there's kind of a lagging indicator right like we have growing demand for that as a i think as a generation to yeah. both want to own something but then have it be a lower environmental impact mm-hmm. and those starts i feel like those buildings are just starting to happen yeah. in certain communities where that's of of mm-hmm. of real importance i want to reference mm-hmm. a, a building that I, I know or a development i know is is popping up in the tempe um arizona community in which they prioritize that none of the none of the tenants would have parking spots dedicated mm. towards their units. Ooh, cool. So it was very mm. much a walking community and a focus That's on cool. on a 15 minute type, 10 minute type community. Mm. Um, That's cool. But elite but but lagging in the demand and and yeah. hopefully rewarded with people who have interest in that. Um right. Right. And so uh, we, yeah. we, it's, that's where this takes me. So thank you. It's, it's like, how do we respond as individual consumers in a system like this? Yeah. And I think, well, so then the last group that we didn't chat about is the designers. And that's also where like you, the user could influence the design by expressing your oh. wants and needs so that the designer could then in the next project, maybe take that into consideration. And they can also be an advocate on your behalf. They're also the, they're the ones doing like the building design. Uh, I like the interiors, right? They're the ones right. like, for right. example, if you go into a townhouse community, somebody is deciding on your behalf what the interior space is going to look like. So there, all of this to say is that this is a list of, of different types of uh, organizations and people in the value chain of the built environment. And 
it, unless like we can self-reflect and see yeah. ourselves as a system and the influence that we have on each other, then we continue to work in silos. So that's, that's really the like ask. Well, one more thing to throw in there, <laughs> yeah. if I, if I may, because this is exactly what, um, and it's someone we should actually have on the show, which is Annie Bevan of Mindful Materials, which mm -hmm. is kind of getting towards, and I, I'm using their reference that they make in their own materials of herding cats, the, the herding the yes. stakeholders of these groups to make these collective actions towards yes. uh, positive impact. Um, yeah. And that sometimes it takes that convener to do that. Um, and we've talked a lot about convening on this podcast, but it's, uh, it is, it's, and it's organizing these exact stakeholders. Yep, exactly. Well, yeah. that's all I had. We have, there are many systems out there in the world. Circular yes. economies can be a system and we ourselves can be parts of that system or influence the development or change in the existing system to new systems. And I, I pride myself on being um, at least like feeling connected to what yeah. is possible through systems thinking and, and influence. And um, if this resonates with you, learn more about systems thinking. And with this next guest, Stacy, she does a great job of sort of breaking down her own role in her community and how she exactly. thought she could impact her system and uh, enjoy it. We're going to jump right into it right now. Uh, thank you for sharing this. We got to nerd out uh, and, and get this out. And, and yeah, we're going to keep this going. I like I like learning <laughs> these new things and, and putting things together. So thank you for sharing this. Uh, Stacy Savage coming up next. What I love about your business is that you started in 2013. And this wasn't the most common talk track to think about zero waste strategies, um, even maybe even circular economy strategies in 2013, because it was just really coming out of a lot of green still conversations. Sustainability was being pushed, um, but zero waste was just sort of on that advent. Why were you ahead of the curve? What was your sort of thinking there on saying, you know what, this is where I want to be and this is the business I want to start? Well, it's funny uh, because that that was never my uh, initial intent was I, I never saw myself as a business owner ever. I always thought I would have a J-O-B. I would work with somebody. I would have their salary dictated to me. I would have their schedule dictated to me. I never saw myself as an entrepreneur or a solopreneur or whatever you want to call it. An ecopreneur uh, was what I became. And I was actually sitting in my car one day at a stoplight and I was just like dazed and doo-doo-doo, you know, just daydreaming. And all of a sudden, waiting for the light to change, it just smacked me upside the head and said, Stacey, you need to be a business owner. You need to, something just jolted right through me and woke me up and was like, I had this epiphany that, you know, you helped pass the local Austin ordinance for recycling, uh, for business recycling. You helped pass the local ordinance for curbside composting for residents. You helped pass the local ordinance for um, single-use bag ban. You helped let pass the local ordinance for the construction and demolition debris recycling ordinance. You helped pass two key pieces of statewide legislation for electronics recycling for computers and TVs. It took on companies like Dell and, and Panasonic and the state legislature that is not necessarily known for environmental friendliness. 
Um, and I just like thought about it and I said, you know, the lawmakers, you know, the city council members, you know, their aides and their staff, you know, all the heavy hitters in the environmental nonprofit movement across the state, you know, the haulers, you know, the processors of the materials, the recyclers, the composters, like, why aren't you the hub for zero waste go-to resources? And so that's what I did the very next day. I went to the Travis County Courthouse. I dropped my $17 and it was the best money I ever spent because I got my DBA. And then I went back home and just started brainstorming everything that I could around zero waste. And, um, you know, like you said, sustainability was this kind of nebulous term. And I knew that I needed to niche down because I had been working at that time in the recycling arena for door-to-door -door campaign organizing. I was talking to thousands of Texans every single year on their front porch regarding let's get signatures, let's get petitions, let's get people to donate to our campaign and give us that people power that we needed behind us to pass these pieces of legislation at the local and state level. So I was out there doing the grunt work. I was doing the door knocking. I was talking to people and finding out what their key concerns were around recycling of toxic, you know, materials like, you know, the lead and the mercury that's found in our electronics. And why is it ending up in our taxpayer owned landfill facilities? Why are we paying and footing the bill for massive corporations uh, to not have to deal with their own waste? And so that's whenever we started doing this brainstorming around um, extended producer responsibility legislation that had already been passed in other states. And we mirrored that and we got Dell on board in 2007. We got Panasonic on board for TVs in 2011. So it was, um, I, I knew that, this, that the waste aspect was the way that I wanted to go because it's what I had the strongest foothold in and it's what I was most educated around. And I knew it's what businesses were least educated around whenever it yes. came to their sustainability mm -hmm. planning. So we talk about energy, we talk about water, we talk about infrastructure, we talk about optimization, but nobody wants to look at waste. Yeah. You throw it away. So tell us. It goes yeah, somewhere. So Where is the way? We're on. <laughs> Go ahead. Tell us uh, who, how, what your business now does after that very cool, amazing origin story of really cool to hear about all the political work that you've done. Um, so who do you, who do you serve now and what services mm -hmm. do you provide to them, especially because they are the, assuming they're the least educated, what does that look like? Yeah. So we serve businesses of all sizes because all businesses create waste and we zero waste is scalable. And so you can, you know, really bring it up to a strong level, um, all the way down to, uh, you know, very small mom and pops who just want to get the basics in place so that they're at least compliant, compliant with uh, the local ordinance, maybe that they have to uh, adhere, adhere to. Um, so we provide uh, deep dive waste audits where we're up to our elbows in trash and recycling and uh, food waste composting for hours and hours with, you know, subcontractors that we bring on to, to do the dirty work. Um, We'll do the, the staff training in person or, or virtually. We'll do, you know, build out your green teams and, and help them yep. come up to speed with what the, the key concepts are and how they can help influence their peers within the, uh, the business structure and help make the programs that a company already has on, in place, like recycling and food waste diversion, successful. 
And that influencer piece of it is really uh, kind of the one of the, the key pieces that we, we look at uh, as far as how successful is something going to be? Because if you don't have the employee buy-in, yep. your, your programs are going <laughs> to, they're, they're dead just going to be a joke, unfortunately. Yes. And so we don't want that. But um, yeah, we come in and we do a full assessment, top to bottom side, the side diagonally. We'll look at your purchasing uh, practices and uh, your hauler contracts and make sure that you're not paying them to cart air off your property. Uh, make sure that everything is optimized, maximized, that we're, that we're using uh, everything to the, the fullest effect within that contract and that you're not being taken for a ride. Uh, so, you know, we look to plug any money leaks within your operation. And then once we're done with the full assessment, we, we go back to headquarters here in Austin, Texas, and we do a, a report that kind of just customizes an entire zero waste master plan for your facility. So the, and then we help you implement uh, as well. So we do kind of after on-site care for customers. Uh, so we're, we'll kind of guide them in implementation phases, help them roll out their training and uh, develop that out specific to their, their industry and the lingo that they use within their industry or their particular office in that particular city or, or whatnot. So it's very customized. Um, and then we offer true certification uh, which oh, is kind of like lead for energy and water, but true is yes. for, for zero waste. So we are certified to to do that and working with several several customers right now to, to implement that. I loved your your influencer point there on your your educating and that 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 is so important for any employees um, at an organization because the first question probably is like, why are we doing this? Why is this important? All of those yep. things that we always hear about. Um, but you answer some of those even uh, when uh, sort of on the digital platform where we first met, which was on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that that education starts with the content you're providing um, and influencing people to contact you or even just think differently. Um, so I love I love the way you brand it, which is uh, your, your trash talking Texan. And and that's uh, ultimately to something that you do live. Um, is answer those questions. Talk a little more about how important that is to answer those questions from the simplest to maybe the more complicated, but giving people that venue to bring their questions, how important that is to sort of breaking that barrier down. Yeah, so we go live on Zoom every Wednesday at one o'clock central. And people who register for our events, and I usually post them on LinkedIn and Facebook and um, a couple of other platforms like the regist registration link, you can always just reach out to me in person um, through a DM or something like that, and I'll send it to you. But uh, every week we sit down with attendees and we go over their headaches, <laughs> their waste nightmares, I guess you could yeah. say. And, and yeah. uh, we go over basics of what the key definitions and common misconceptions are around waste. And uh, we help people get uh, over the ick factor whenever it comes to handling some certain types of waste. And, uh, you know, we just answer their questions about what they're seeing on site in their particular city, in their particular state. Maybe they have an ordinance or a statewide policy that they have to comply with and they need a little assistance or they're not clear on something. And how can we do this better? And my industry does this, but we want to go this way. Is there a better avenue? So we, we really sit there and it is, real-time brainstorming on your particular issues that, that uh, you know, people can walk away with um, 
at least a start, at least a launch yeah. pad, right, of, of ideas. And they can always contact me a little bit later and we can do a back and forth and then eventually hire me. Um, <laughs> we're ready to go. So it's always about bringing that value and helping people feel heard. Um, because let's face it, sometimes in corporate structures, people who are doing the work are not actually being heard. Uh, they've got all the insights and they've they've talked to their their staff and employees, but you know sometimes the the higher ups may not see value right then in it's, what they're bringing to the table, even if it demonstrates cost savings. So we really want them it, to feel heard and inspired and motivated to keep going and keep doing that uh, that work to green up your company from the inside out. It is the unique aspect of the systems we're trying to change, that it involves yeah. top-down, bottom-up, middle-out approaches, um, that there's, there's so many things that need to be brought together across so many different levels of, a, of an organization that it is unique to be piercing that a little bit and breaking down the questions and the barriers. What I love about uh, what you do in that is sometimes the barrier too is people don't know what to Google. People don't know what to just try to just put in a search engine to try to yeah. figure out the next step. And so having mm -hmm. that one-on-one, -on -one, that, that brainstorm, I bet actually that can skip you probably two or three steps in understanding where yeah. to tackle this problem. Um, and so I'm always just fascinated with, we have all of the knowledge at our fingertips, but if you don't quite know what to phrase and how, mm -hmm. well, then that's actually where, you know, some barriers can be set up initially. Which is kind of like, you know, the newest technology around chat GPT. If you don't know how to prompt totally. something correctly, it's going to spit out something totally different than what you expected. So yes. um, you, we have to be precise. And a lot of times that precision just isn't, um, it, it isn't learned yet. And so right. we have to have that open forum, that space, that safe space for people to come in and say, I don't even know where to start with zero waste. That's okay. We got you. I'm so curious um, in the like zero waste retail or consumer space, there's like a couple of brands and a lot of storytelling around like transforming your personal life from being wasteful to not wasteful. And I'm curious, like what sort of storytelling do you leverage to get organizations to go from that kind of like ick factor all the way to, okay, we're actually have to change your behavior and the reason I'm asking that is like, I've done the waste audits too myself. I've been elbow deep and like photos of that, you know, I was just thinking mm -hmm. photos of that make people feel like, oh, if that person can be elbow deep in the waste, like it, like there's a person in the waste, like doing science, right? Like, so I'm just curious, like what tactics do you use to help uh, story tell people out of the ick factor? Yeah, you know, uh, that's what we do as well as we photograph, we do time-lapse videos of you know, taking a six hour waste audit and convert it into a 30 second time lapse video, people are just like, oh my gosh, look at all this activity. And you can see the bags go down, 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 down. And then a whole new load comes down, 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 down. And we're just picking through it. And, and uh, it looks like total chaos, but it's very organized because you have to capture the data and you cannot let even one bucket slide. So if you do, you don't have the, you know, you've got a bit of skewed data on a particular waste stream. So we have to keep everything very organized and um, it, it has to go very quickly um, because you don't want to stew in the waste, uh, even though you have protective gear on. But allowing businesses, uh, business owners, managers, supervisors to see 
what is actually going out the back end in the dumpsters, in the roll-off containers is really eye-opening. And a lot of times they are in their cubicle or they're on their floor, they're within their department and they don't see what's going out the back end because the janitorial crew comes in at night when they're not there and pulls everything and puts it out in the back. And so if you're not constantly lifting lids, your dumpster lids outside, and you're looking in to see the fill levels, if you're not tracking, you know, what's, what's coming in through your procurement department and what's going out through your haulers uh, contract, then there's a lot that gets lost in translation and a lot that uh, where, you know, there's, there's, oversights for um, money just kind of disappearing whenever it could have been utilized in a lot better ways. So being able to detail that in the reports that we generate with photos, um, as well as the videos, we also do in-depth interviews with key personnel. Now, whether that is, you know, the head of the green team, whether that is your chief uh, sustainability officer, whether it's the CEO of your company, or it's the brand new employee that you just onboarded two weeks ago. We can sit there and gain insights from everybody's perspectives. And we do a word for word transcript and we're able to record them with their consent. And we're able to give them those insider nuggets, those little pieces of, of information that managers need to see and hear um, regarding the perspectives around those I, those waste diversion programs, if people say this is not working, I don't understand it. That means we got a little training to do, and we need to probably look at your signage, and we need to look at your color coding, and is it coming across in a way that is, um, you know, just does it relate? Do people relate to what you're trying to convey? And are you showing the numbers? Are you showing the tracking? Are you showing that we're recycling this much and we're dumping this much? You know, there's there's got to be a lot of transparency around the numbers as well, which can drive people's behavior change. So I, I think those couple of things um, are are key pieces that uh, that we can bring to the table whenever it comes to uh, showing people what the company is doing, where it wants to go, how it's improving and progressing. And then, um, you know, giving giving employees bragging rights. That's really what you want to do yeah. is, is have yeah. them talking about your company outside of the company walls to all their friends and family and talking you up and recruiting new people and, uh, you know, building that, that brand awareness and that word of mouth is really key. So I think setting your own employees up to do that is, is really something that these kinds of uh, waste um, initiatives can, can provide. Two things on that. I mean, it, it that is that employee retention uh, opportunity, that employee yeah. pride opportunity in your community um, that that helps your business grow, helps your hiring uh, be more successful. Um, and it's that it's kind of we talk about it, but it still is always uns not sung enough, I guess, um, in in our in our industry and for people to really understand that the next generations are looking for purpose are looking for pride in the work and they're looking to contributing towards benefiting uh, our natural mm -hmm. systems and even our social systems. And so that's, that's so much a part of this. What I also love about what you said is clearly just as much as you're digging in the, the trash and you're trying to, you know, build these zero waste programs, you're also digging into the institutional knowledge and helping uncover a lot of the value there. And that can sometimes be just as much of a barrier because yeah, in every organization, the 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 relationships between employees aren't necessarily one hundred 
100% transparent. So you're able to pick from what this person knows on the green team to what maybe wasn't communicated up to the sustainability officer. And so I love that there's an element of that too, that's just in getting to work in the social systems and getting to know the people and, and what those people know. Um, in all of that, uh, there's value. In all of that then, mm -hmm. um, what have you found that, um, you know, when it comes to costs, I'm always curious where that there's that there's always that barrier. Um, there's so much uh, left on the table, but sometimes that either means that uh, there's a little bit of cost to get to it. Um, how do you how do you cross that barrier? Um, because so that, that can be so much of a barrier for so many business owners to say, oh, I'm too intimidated by that initial cost. But there's so much green, uh, green pasture ahead if they do. How do you help hurdle that? And, and, and really, if you can't tell, I'm really asking, how do you sell circular? How do you sell zero waste? Um, and it's like, because that's a big barrier. Yeah, you know, I, I always make the case for zero waste in an economic sense. It's yes. always about economics. And if we can afford to do X over Y over Z, and if we don't do X, we'll never get to Z and we're going to lose a lot of money along the way. So we can quantify, um, you know, if I can take your hauler agreements and if i can take your monthly invoices and i can take a look at what you're paying currently and show that hey we don't need 17 dumpsters we need maybe 12 we don't need six pickups a week we need three and because we do the waste audit right we understand the yep. baseline measurement first and then we take a look at all your hauler contracts and you're like whoa You've got way too much service. You are overpaying in a big way. Remember whenever I said carting air off your property? This is exactly what, I'm, what I was alluding to is right-sizing your service agreements for your actual business needs. Because once, you, um, once a business comes into a building, they have to reestablish new hauler agreements, right? A new hauler has to come in or... They'll service, you know, it is the same hauler and they service the same properties day in, day out. And you get the arbitrary number of what the last guy had. And right. so if you're not sitting down and doing that deep dive, like you said, um, then you're probably getting taken for a ride on, on your expenses. So that's a way to save money there. And any cost savings that you do experience can be funneled into your new programs. So you're spending the money anyway. So why don't you yes. just divert it? right over to your diversion programs yeah. and um you know it's it's important though whenever you do establish new hauler contracts that there is a clause in there where fluidity and terms of agreements um can be changed on a an as-needed basis so maybe you're going to need a lot more service pickup during the christmas holidays because of all the parties in your office right um think about college campuses and the move out move in process that every single semester happens there's you just have to be fluid within your service levels and you have to reduce where you don't have very many people and not a lot of generation and then you have to increase you know on on the other side of the coin so cash savings being able to show that and and using like a sliding scale if you reduce this much you're going to save this much and being able to show them year on year cost savings is uh one thing that's, that that uh, kind of opens their eyes and and they're you know nodding their head like oh my gosh I, I didn't <laughs> think of it in these terms and then you also have to think about it in the way that you're recruiting your you know top tier talent are you losing out on talent because you don't have your sustainability programs in place or even if you do are they not effective are you not marketing and advertising this is how you're going to rope in 
your, you know, millennial and Gen Z, and very soon your Gen Alphas who are looking for companies who, who they can work with that they can trust, that they're not polluting the communities that they live in, that there's social justice, there's social impact as a key driver. And investors, shareholders, they're looking for companies that have ESG as a top priority. It's one of their top five, uh, you know, investor um, you know, insights uh, whenever they look to, to who they're going to invest in. If you don't have a sustainability policy, if you're not showing the numbers, you're not being transparent, whew, you're probably going to get passed over. So that's money out the window too. So there's all kinds of aspects around the cash savings and the, um, the employee uh, recruitment and retention, investor dollars, green marketing to set your, your company apart from the industry competitors and to establish brand loyalty. You, brand loyalty is, is one of the, you know, the main factors that any company looks for. And, and 50 to 100 years worth of brand loyalty is priceless. So as we round out the segment, Stacey, uh, I'm curious, you've been at this for a long time. You're in Texas. Like, What are the macro trends of change that you're seeing? And what gives you hope that we're getting better in fighting climate change? <laughs> that's, that's a tough one to answer from Texas because we have almost 200 active landfills and uh, we have a highly, highly conservative uh, legislature. And again, that's why I always post things in an economic frame uh, so that people can see the, the money that they're losing out on it just happens to come with the side benefit of environmental protection. So, you know, landfills in Texas are big business, huge, and we take in trash from other states as well. So it's a, it's a hard ship to turn and there's a lot of momentum. And, but we've been doing the same thing for over a hundred years and burying our crap in a hole in the ground is not sustainable. And a lot of these landfill permits have 100, 300 year, you know, timeline on their permits. You're going to tell me at 300 years from now, we're still going to be burying our stuff? No, <laughs> it's not. It's not allowable. We should not allow this. And so there's a lot more that we can do. Uh, and, and I think Texas can be a leader in the circular economy because of all the room for improvement. There was a a huge study that just came out that assessed the recycling programs of all 50 states. And I think Texas was like 43rd or something like that. I mean, really embarrassing. So we want to get those numbers up. And we know that Texas is only recycling about 25%. So we need to, to have more infrastructure. We need more companies coming to Texas that can allow more infrastructure to keep these materials out of our landfills. Um, you know, especially with food waste, it's 40% of our waste stream, but it's also one of the top five climate gas emitters in our landfills is rotting food and rotting organics. So we need to pull these organics away from landfill and to put them back into the soil, have regenerative processes that can nourish the soil that is growing our prop, the crops that, uh, of the food that we bring home from the supermarket or the, the farmer's market. It's, it, it, that's the cyclical, that's the circularity of it all right there. Uh, so it, the way Texas goes, the way the nation goes many, many, I, many times. Yeah. 
Yep. I uh, I wish I could say the same for uh, Illinois. I, I love my state. I love my city of Chicago. But we we might be right there with y'all in Texas too, where we all have lots to learn. We all have lots that we can be pushing forward. Um, and so uh, I look forward to seeing more from you and and sharing more from us. And then uh, we have more to do as a team. So uh, if anybody uh, is interested in learning more, please reach out to Stacy um, on on our website, um, which is uh, zero with a zero waste dot org. Um, Stacy, uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you for the content you put on on LinkedIn. Sure. Please message any of us on LinkedIn. Um, and uh, again, this this is fun, and uh, we have. A lot of good stuff ahead. A lot, a lot more good work, and uh, and so there's yeah, we lots could have of gone for another yet. two hours, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening, uh, Stacy. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Appreciate it, Gar. Bye, Sabira. <laughs>